So this season of Epiphany, we're engaged in this series entitled The Revelation of Christ Through the Stewardship of Our Lives. And this morning, we want to look at the notion of the stewardship of truth. It might be a bit counterintuitive. I don't know, you know, we, when you think of truth, we might think of knowing the truth or contending for the truth or um, arguing about the truth or coming to know the truth. Um, but we may not think of it in that phrase, the stewardship of truth. Thinking of it that way has a really important assumption under it. And that is that the truth is something that exists outside of our thinking about it, first and foremost. And that it's something that is given. That is to say that, tr- that caring for truth, like any other sort of stewardship means, caring for that which belongs to another, which again immediately alerts us to the fact that the truth is not of first important ours. Because as soon as you think stewardship, you immediately have to think of both a master and a mandate, right? If we're stewarding something for someone else, that implies a master, and it implies something that we're to do with what we've been given. This is what I think Paul's getting at in 1 Timothy when he writes, that the truth, sorry, the church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And so what Paul's picturing here is the people of God supporting and holding up, or as we want to say this morning, stewarding the truth of God's purpose and plan. Now, this whole business of, like, where does truth come from, who of first importance owns it, and that sort of thing, um, I love this little story that uh, helps us get at this. Uh, you may have heard it, but it, it's worth saying in this context. You know, this is a made-up little story that says that a group of scientists once approached God, saying to them, <clears throat> saying to God, "Hey, listen, God, we've decided we don't need you anymore. That these days we can clone people, transplant organs, and do all sorts of things that used to be considered miraculous." God replied, "You don't need me, huh?" Well, how about if we put your theory to the test? Why don't we have a competition to see who can best make a human being? The scientist agrees, and so God declares that they should do it like he did in the good old days when God created Adam. Fine, says the scientist, as he bends down to scoop up a handful of dirt, to which God says, whoa, not so fast. You go get your own dirt. Right? I mean, we tend to think the truth is something that's within our minds or, or something we might even say within our heart. Um, you know, philosophers might say it's something that's derived and conceived of by community. You know, there's just all kinds of thoughts about truth, you know, swimming around in our world today. It has been in every, every era of humanity. But this little story reveals that if one assumes on even the most basic level that there's a creator who has any sort of intentionality, then really understandable words, and I honestly mean that, at least in my own heart, I have complete empathy for people who say things like, well, my truth, or that's your truth. I I completely get why someone would say something like that. But as soon as you assume that someone lies behind dirt, which is to say you're gray matter, right? Are you feeling me here? As soon as you admit that something lies behind even my physical capacity to process truth, 
Well, that puts a completely different angle on this and alerts us that things like my truth, your truth, may not be the best ways to think about truth. Now, again, like I said, I get how people get, get there. It, it, is, it is completely true to say that, that it can be hard to ascertain truth because of context, that things just mean different things in different contexts, right? Simple illustration. If we're out at Anaheim Stadium or Dodger Stadium and I say a little word, a little sentence like hit the bat, what do you immediately picture? A wooden baseball bat, right? Well, what if we're at the LA Zoo and we're walking through the flying mammal section and I said hit the bat? Well, you, can, you immediately think of something different. Why? Because it's just true to say that context helps derive meaning. That's not liberalism. Um, you know, that, it's just a fact of life. Or it's a fact of life to say that people just have their perspective on things. Like, how do you know that the back of my shirt's not white? I mean, it's safe for you to assume that it's purple, but, but you don't have the perspective to know what the back of my shirt looks like. You only have your perspective. That's all true to say. And it's true to question how much language can really deliver truth or not. That's all fair to say, and I completely get it. Like, in my heart, I really empathize with people who have those kinds of frustrations over truth. But here's what I want you to consider this morning deeply. That while that's all true, none of it adds up to we have no access to truth. None of it adds up to that we have mere perspective. Because in the goodness and graciousness of God, every single one of you could get up, walk around behind me, improve your perspective, and know something that you don't presently know. Are you following me here? That's the goodness of God. And as I've been thinking about this this week and, and thinking about stewarding truth, <clears throat> it just makes me think how much that does not sit in our daily discourse. Like in marriages or friendships or in the workplace or God forget, forbid our political discourse. Whoever thinks of there's something that's been given and how do we lovingly and faithfully steward it? No, we fight and argue and defend and manipulate and cajole and use power and, and, and all, you know, to, to think about my truth or your truth. And, and very few people think, no, truth is something that has been lovingly given. So I want to suggest this morning as a way for us as followers of Christ to steward truth, I want to suggest something like this. That our role in stewarding truth today is to personify, or you could use the word embody. Are you following me here? That our role is to personify or to embody an approach to stewarding truth that is first of all rooted in love for the revealer. Right? So if I, if I took out my wallet and said, Alan, hold this for me. I got to go do something. It might get wet. Hold this for me. Take care of this for me. Well, I, Alan, my friend, would nod his head and say, okay, why? Because he loves me. His stewarding is rooted in love. So what if truth became something to us where we steward it because of our love for God, not first and foremost a desire to win or to differentiate? 
or to make our viewpoints more specific and discreet so that we can position ourselves. I mean, just think of all the things we do with truth. Well, what if our first most gut reaction to it is it's rooted in a love for the revealer? And then secondly, in a diligence that springs from honest desire. This is part of what Paul's getting at in our reading from um, um, Corinthians this morning, that a big reason that truth has gone kind of haywire in our day today is many people don't want to know. There is no actual desire to know what God might know because that would imply a love for God, a trust of him that there is a God and that he's up to something. But that's scary because then that means I might need to conform to that. And then what might that mean about my present worldview, my, par- my present lenses, the way through which I think about intuitively acting in life? I mean, that, if that all starts changing, that's a bit scary. And therefore, there's not in many people a real diligence underneath an honest desire to know what's real. So what if, so what if stewardship meant, first, a love for the revealer? Second of all, a diligence that springs from an honest desire to know truth. And then thirdly, humility that's guided by the reality that, as Paul said, we know in part and we see through a glass darkly. Now, I've already said that everything's contextual, right? So try to grasp this. God, before there was space and time, intended to create creation, right? So out of God's own considerations, he says, let there be light. Let there be earth. So he creates. He creates humankind as the pinnacle of that creation to be his people on earth. Everything goes south. And so Paul says, in this state, we see through a glass darkly. We know in part and we see in part. But if you remember the context of Paul's argument, he's saying, but the day is going to come when God's pre-creation intention is going to be fulfilled and then we will no longer know in part. We will no longer see through a glass darkly. Try this on for size. You won't be able to run from God's truth if you want it. This is what Jesus said to pray. Pray that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. That is to say, in the sphere or realm of God, where God in first intentioned creation, first intentioned things like gravity, first intentioned things like there are some things in life that are ethically better than others. I mean, I know that's a hard thing to say today, but what if it's true? What if some approaches to ethics and morals actually are more in alignment with God's plan and better for humanity? Hard thing to talk about, I know, but what if it's true? And that leads us to the notion that the truth is actually already here. That, you know, we we want to say that in the coming of Jesus um, came the beginning of the end or the, the beginning of the fulfillment of what God intended. And so listen to what the New Testament, for instance, says of Jesus. It says that Jesus came from the Father full of truth. Jesus said of himself, I am the truth, and that for this I've come into the world to testify to the truth. 
and that everyone who on the side of the truth listens to me. And if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now there is a concept. The truth will set you free. And that is to say, following Jesus, obeying his commands is access to that original truth. Yes, Jesus is Savior, obviously. Lord, obviously. His death on the cross and shed blood is obviously unspeakably true and good and necessary for our sin. But Jesus is also humanity as God intended. He is what God intended for Adam and Eve. He's Israel as God intended. This is what God intended Israel to be. And this is why Jesus can say, if you listen to me, I come from the Holy Trinity. I am Lord and creator of the universe, co-creator with the Trinitarian God. If you listen to me and obey what I'm telling you, you'll be free because you'll be humanity as God intended before the fall. And so our reading in Mark 12 this morning tells us that the public, not the religious leaders, the religious leaders are really just here using Jesus' public reputation, to tell us what they thought of Jesus, that Jesus had integrity, that that is to say he was true in and of himself, and that he was indifferent to public opinion. He didn't pander to his students or followers, and that he taught the way of God accurately. Well, that all makes sense if you understand that he is God, and that he comes from this Trinitarian being who invented all this. Go get your own dirt. Are you tracking with me here? No, it's not okay for you to just play off of the French Revolution or, French Revolution or the Enlightenment or Foucault or Derrida or Rorty or any of your favorite philosophers. That's not okay. You can't just do that and then come to your own truth. No, go get your own dirt, Derrida. Go get your own dirt, Foucault, or Stanley Fish, who you know, wants to say a text has no meaning except for what a reader can bring to it. No, that's not, you know, no, you've got to go get your own dirt. Do you see what I'm saying here? And so Jesus, living in that reality, has a different way of being in the world. But, it, it, so, but his way of being isn't automatic and intuitive for us. For us, it requires conscious choice, a daily sort of conscious living. And this is what Paul's getting at. I think again in our reading in 2 Corinthians, that the basic human choice is to think of truth as an aspect of power. And this is what the you know, uh, philosophers 100 years ago were trying to get at. Truth rooted in power or the will to win or to control outcomes or to manipulate others. But look at what Paul says of himself, you know, obviously imitating Jesus. Now, I've renounced all that. I renounce secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. We don't distort the word of God. On the contrary, he says, we set forth the truth plainly, just revealing what's real. Now, let's just us talk, okay? Like we're in this chapel, you know, trying to become followers of Jesus, but all around us is a society, like I said, I empathize with, that is deeply troubled by notions of truth. And this society pressures us to treat religious beliefs as something other than or less than truthful knowledge. That whatever religion is, it's not like the gas tank 
indicator in your dashboard. It doesn't refer to anything real. Right, are you tracking with me here? Or like when a warning light comes on in your car, we all assume that that warning light points to something important and real that we need to notice. But today our culture says, no, religion doesn't function that way. Dashboards might. What surgeons know, that, can, that points to an important reality. But when we're in the category of religion, we're not in the category of knowledge. That religion is not a subject of truthful knowledge. That at best, it's opinion or tradition. And so then the reaction to that is um, a rejection of religion being truthful reality and a kind of religious intolerance because it's not helpful. So what do we do? Well, I, I've suggested already that, that our approach to stewarding truth is rooted in love for God, a diligence in wanting to actually know, we actually desire to know truth, and third, that the truth we do know, we, we hold humbly, knowing that we don't know everything. But there are sources of truth for us, that truth that we're called to steward, to hold up and support. There's the Holy Spirit. There's the scriptures, there's history, tradition, reason, relationships, community. And I want to say here a special word about beauty. My friend Dwayne, I don't know where he went, um, said to me this week in a note that beauty is both a container and communicator of truth. And I thought, you know, that's right. And it gave me an excuse to say here that when our emphasis on beauty here is not like kind of a toss-in, it's an acknowledgement at least, of learning styles that some of you right now are having a very hard time tracking with me because like Debbie and I's son, you have auditory processing problems. You actually don't learn very well auditorily. But maybe you learn very well visually. Or maybe you learn really well tactfully through physical sorts of learning or reading or whatever. And so beauty reveals and draws us to truth, the truth that then can lead to goodness and goodness that then can draw us back into God's beauty and his purposes for creation. So let me say this as, as I close. That we began with the thought that stewardship implies a master and a mandate. And so listen to how Paul is, is a, um, at least as a biblical example, attuned to this. In 1 Corinthians 4, he says, as apostles, we're we are entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. See, there's the original dirt. We're entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. And now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Or Paul said to Timothy, the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others, that is to say, to pass down this original dirt. Or Jesus said in John 17, you know, his sort of final high priestly prayer, sanctify them by, anybody remember? Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. Now, I'd bet my last dollar and if I owned a Porsche, I'd bet my Porsche. 
that the average person in our society today does not think of truth as a sanctifying force. It is a force of division and arrogance and argument and bullying and everything but sanctifying. But what if that is what's real? God thought something, knew something, expressed it. It's the original dirt. And that it's actually best for humanity, that humanity flourishes and, and, and females are their most robustly female and males are their mo most robustly male and smart people are their mo most robustly smart and people who are good at working with their hands are the best at that and artists are the best of that when from their heart they love the revealer they, they have an honest desire to know what's revealed and are willing to, you know, just sort of walk this earth and to walk their life being simultaneously attached to that, loving and desiring it, and knowing that I see in a glass darkly, I see a kind of winsomeness in that. And this is why I think in our gospel reading this morning, one of the reasons that it says that the people marveled at Jesus that exactly as he prayed for truth as embodied in Jesus was a prompt for worship. They marveled at him. They adored him. That truth was a prompt for followership. And then cycles of learning more and more truth, growing in love for God and neighbor. So I'm going to put a, a slide up now for our quiet time. I somehow was reminded again of this uh, quote that I've looked at many times over the years by de Chardin. And I want to um, read it to you here. I want to ask you to look at the screen and, and let your eyes fall on these words um, as you listen to me. So thinking of truth and our stewardship of truth, de Chardin writes, above all, trust in the slow work of God. Now, if you've not changed your mind about anything in the years you've been a Christian, you have not grown. And so even when it comes to truth, we trust in the slow work of God. That little by little, what we think we know, we might have to discard. What we didn't think we know, we can actually hold closely, trusting in the slow work of God. Because really, most of us are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. That is to say, I want to know truth, I want to know it now, and I want to know it 100%. We'd like to skip the intermediate stages where we see through a glass darkly. We're impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet, it's the law of all progress that it's made by passing through some stages of instability and that it might take a very long time women suffragists, racism, human sexuality. Can I just tell you that the current debate about human sexuality is not going to be solved in our lifetime? This is going to go on a long time. And human beings are going to experiment sexually in ways that we can't even envisage right now. And so we have to trust in the slow work of God. It might take a very long time. And De Chardin says... I think it's this way with you. Next. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today 
what time, that is to say, grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming in you will be. Give the Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you. And accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete today when it comes to truth. So can you hold that together? I'm incomplete and in suspense. But I love the revealer of the original dirt. And inside me, I sincerely want to know what he's up to and I want to conform my life to it. And as I try to do that, in my own internal inconsistencies, in the inconsistencies in my church and in the church, and in the inconsistencies in the wider culture, I will hold that progress, that process of loving God and his truth in humility, knowing that I really do only know in part. Presently, I see through a glass darkly, but listen to me, but I'm aligning my heart so that when the day comes that all is revealed, I'll breathe a deep, yes, I've come home to real truth. Amen.